Alrighty, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Avoiding Avocados. My name is Katie. Thanks for tuning in. Today is all about how we can potentially lessen the likelihood of eating disorder development in young girls and women. Last week, we had one of my very best friends on the show to talk about how the media and society can play a role in eating disorder development. This week, we actually challenge society in considering possible ways to prevent eating disorder development by planning effective interventions and programs for young girls. So let's start here. Can eating and feeding disorders be prevented? Well, technically no, but we can lessen the likelihood of someone developing one. How do we do this? Well, research has shown that prevention programs to reduce some factors that place adolescents at a particularly heightened risk of developing eating disorders can be beneficial. Some prevention programs have actually reduced eating disorder behaviors, but there isn't much utilization of such programs. It's not like any harm can be done in eating disorder prevention programs though, right? So why don't we call upon them more often than we do? At the very least, adolescents can benefit from improved body images. So what kind of eating disorder prevention programs have been successful in the past? Well, a number of prevention programs have been in fact impactful after widespread use actually in schools across the country. Some of the most successful programs include The Body Project, which is a program intended for high school and college age women that teach participants to argue against the thin ideal standard of female beauty that we even touched upon last week. Then there's the healthy weight intervention, which is a program aimed at shifting focus toward dietary and nutritional intake, along with healthy levels of physical activity. I think that's especially important. Another successful prevention program is the healthy body image, teaching kids to eat and love their bodies too. Gosh, that sounds amazing. This one focuses on body image, eating, fitness, and weight concern in children and adolescents. Unfortunately, very few intervention programs have been tested on boys and younger children. So there's not a lot of research about how impactful and how helpful they can be in the male population. Also, unfortunately, we cannot completely prevent the development of eating disorders, but can only successfully reduce the risk factors which further supports the idea that early recognition and intervention are crucial and of the utmost importance. So how exactly do we implement prevention programs in schools? Well, first, school educators, coaches, and staff should be familiar with the signs and symptoms of eating disorders that we discussed in the very first episode. They should also be familiar with treatment options and which resources are available in order to facilitate early identification and initiation of treatment when and if needed. In fact, in 2013, the state of Virginia actually passed a law that requires eating disorder education and voluntary eating disorder screenings for students of certain ages. If more states were to provide educational and screening programs for students, we would definitely see a decline in eating and feeding disorder rates as potentially at-risk adolescents could be sought out and their eating disorder development could actually be halted, maybe even prevented. Schools are also responsible for fostering healthy perceptions of body image and relationships with food. Although well-intended, anti-obesity and overweight reduction programs 
can be very harmful to students. Such programs involve weighing students in school, calculating and reporting body mass index, and encouraging students to focus on weight loss. These programs may actually contribute to shame, distress, or elevated risk for eating disorder behavior, rather than setting healthy examples for overweight or obese adolescents. In fact, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have actually noted the lack of evidence to support school-based BMI screening as a prevention method and have stated that these programs are harmful due to their increased stigma about one's weight and appearance, which in turn could lead to someone engaging in disordered eating behaviors. So if schools should move away from anti-obesity programs and outdated physical activity programs, such as the president's fitness test, first off, who hated that? Running the mile in PE class, being separated like that? I know I did. It segregates and ranks elementary girls and boys according to BMI, number of sit-ups and push-ups completed, and running ability. Instead, schools should be more holistic in their approach to healthy lifestyle programs. Schools can do just that by focusing on health as an outcome rather than weight and BMI. Schools can also improve cafeteria options to support healthful eating practices and encourage students to reduce intake of sugary drinks like soda and non-fruit juices. Cafeterias should also foster healthy relationships with food by encouraging students to eat from all food groups, in moderation, of course. Schools can also implement a no-teasing, no-bullying policy and response protocol if they ever run into bullying or teasing. Administrators should also focus on reducing time in front of computers and devices by limiting electronic usage outside of academic hours. Lastly, school administrators and even recess monitors can challenge students to engage in regular vigorous physical activity. Research has also shown interactive programs such as peer group discussions and support groups to be successful. Considering peer influence plays a large role in potential eating disorder development, social interaction like this can be really helpful. This type of proactive intervention develops social and relational practices that incorporate the person's support network. Support network is huge, and I'll go into that a little bit later on. Now let's review what we've covered so far. Well, we've discussed basic eating and feeding disorder diagnostic criteria, the common risk factors associating with eating disorder development, how society and the media can play into eating disorder development, and how to potentially lessen the prevalence of eating disorder development, and the role that school educators and administrators play in eating disorder prevention. Well, what's left? Remember in the first episode how I told you we'd circle back around to me and my experience? Well, it's that time, folks. So what's it like living post-eating disorder recovery? Well, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, let me tell you that. It's tough. You don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden forget that you had been living with a mind-encompassing disease. You don't just all of a sudden eat whatever you want without feeling badly about it. And you sure as hell don't forget about your bad habits. No, it's a learning process. Every day is hard, y'all, but every day 
is a little less hard than the last. I'm also not going to lie to you and say that it's a consistent improvement because it's not. Instead, it's more like a squiggly line that curves back and forth than in circles. Some days you get better, taking steps in the right direction, sometimes forward, but other days you may jump backwards or even have a mishap. Some people even relapse completely, falling prey to old habits and subconscious thoughts and pressures. But that's where support is necessary. And that's where it's super important to surround yourself with a loving, compassionate, and encouraging support system to pick you up when you're down. Hell, maybe even piece you back together when you fall apart. And to congratulate you when you're doing well, raising you even higher and pushing you even further in your recovery. I owe everything to my support system, my recovery, my post-recovery journey, and even my daily life now that I'm approaching six years of medical clearance. I wouldn't be here without my loving family, my amazing friends, my confidants, my role models, and my motivators. Literally, I wouldn't be here. And I am so thankful I have this support system that I do. So what's with the name? Why avoiding avocados? Why the random avocado nutritional facts? What the hell does all that have to do with eating and feeding disorders? Well, here's why. Six or seven years ago, I would have never touched an avocado for the mere caloric and fat content. I didn't allow myself to enjoy the little things in life. I didn't allow myself the extra scoop of ice cream. Hell, I didn't allow myself a scoop at all on a hot summer night with friends. I didn't allow myself the post-exam donut. I didn't allow myself the fattening guacamole when out to eat at a Mexican restaurant with my family. I didn't allow myself to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner without thinking about how I'd work it off the next day. I planned everything around my workouts, around my meals, around how much I ate and what I ate. I was so focused on my calories in versus my calories out that I would turn down offers to go out with friends. Nothing was fun for me anymore because my mind was so consumed with punishing itself and my body. Even if my workouts, even my workouts had become obligatory or I no longer enjoyed exercise, but rather I despised it. I pushed my body to the point of numbing fatigue and even pain. Nothing was enjoyable. Nothing was easy. Nothing was fun. Six years later, however, I enjoy the little things. I revel at the opportunity to share a sugary seasonal latte with a friend visiting out of town. I allow the late night drunk munchies, usually consisting of an extra large mad mush cheese stick with extra garlic and butter sauce, of course. I look forward to my personal pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. I love a sporadic trip to brunch on Sundays where, let's be honest, I have bottomless mimosas alongside my best girlfriends. I value a day or two off from exercise per week because my workouts are physically taxing, but not painful. And I know what my body needs. I know it needs at least a day of recovery for proper, proper mu muscle functioning. I enjoy little things again. I enjoy all things in moderation, of course. Honestly, I enjoy avocados. The creaminess, the lusciousness they add to my salads, 
the luxurious, luxuriousness and aesthetic they add to my toast on Tuesday mornings. Yes, I'm that basic bitch. The healthy fat and how soft it makes my hair. The good carbohydrates that fuel my body. The protein that aids in my muscle recovery. The calories it provides my body to maintain its basal metabolic rate. I love them, y'all. I eat at least one a day. On my five-year anniversary of medical clearance, I made a decision. I made a decision to get an avocado permanently tattooed on my right wrist. That tattoo acted as a permanent and visible reminder of what I've overcome in my life. And I knew that symbol, that visual representation of my journey would only help continue in my pursuit of overcoming it. I also made a decision to enjoy the little things in life. I made a decision to value myself, to value my body. Up until that point, yeah, I had been medically cleared. I had been a quote unquote healthy weight, but I still struggled with the fun things. I still struggled to allow myself to enjoy the little things in life. From that moment on, on February 14th, 2019, when I got a tattoo permanently on my wrist, I would work toward an even happier and overall healthier version of myself. Since that day, I have worked earnestly at doing just that. Y'all, it's still not easy. Some days it's still really hard, but regardless of how tough it is, I know I'm tougher. I know what I'm capable of accomplishing, what I'm capable of achieving and what I'm capable of overcoming. Now, over six years later, in that awful meeting in my high school counselor's office, I can honestly say that I am proud of the woman I am today. I am proud of those 30 pounds I gained in two months back senior year of high school. And I'm even damn prouder of the extra five to 10 pounds of Mad Mush cheese sticks, Thanksgiving pies, and bottomless mimosas that I've gained ever since. I am a fighter and I will continue to be so. Thanks so much for being willing to listen to my journey, y'all. And I hope I provided some helpful information that you can use as a resource if you or your loved one ever finds themselves in a situation. I am so grateful for this opportunity to share with you guys. And I can't wait to keep sharing. So, you heard a little bit about today's inspirational song. It's by the queen herself, Lizzo that is. She's feeling good as hell, and I hope you are too. Well y'all, my name is Katie. This is Avoiding Avocados. An avocado is a nutrient dense, heart healthy, and freaking aesthetically pleasing superfood. Until next time.